This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by Jonathan Goldberg. John is the CIO of the South Region of, of the North Shore University Health System. North Shore just merged with a system that he was the CIO for. Now he's the, the regional CIO for a magnificent system, wherever the titles are, are they're calling themselves, but both magnificent leaders and, and a great leader. John, can you take a moment? Tell us a bit about yourself, your career, and, and maybe take a moment. It, you know, and I know you know what it's like working as a CIO through the middle of a merger and stuff like that. And, and any thoughts on that? Obviously, whatever you could say that's comfortable with public consumption, but but it must be a fascinating part of the process and part of your career. Sure. Yeah. I, so you know, the, the short version in terms of my background, I've been a I've been in healthcare IT pretty much almost exclusively on the provider side for you know, just basically about 30 years now. Um, about 17 of those 30 were in the in the CIO role uh, for multiple health systems. I've, I've seen um, both pediatric health systems as well as uh, adult, and I've been through large merger. This will be my second um, in, in out of three. So I, I guess I'm, I got a pretty good track record of, of working through mergers. So uh, I joined Edward Elmhurst uh, in the middle of COVID in July of 2020. Uh, so came up here right in the in the thick of things, and have, have certainly lived through uh, what's been an interesting time in healthcare. Certainly, um, and, and and the health system did a phenomenal job managing through it. Uh, during that time, though, we we were in talks with a, a merger with North Shore University Health System, which is the north of us, and and we're in the western suburbs of Chicago. They're in the northern suburbs. We don't overlap services. We we pretty much just about butt up against each other. Uh, we're both financially strong health systems that felt community-based uh, with a strong tie to the communities we serve and thought that coming together um, with the strengths that we each have would, would certainly be a great thing long-term. So uh, it was, you know, it was, it was certainly not a necessity to merge, but we felt that it was, it was something, it was an opportunity that we couldn't pass up. And, and because of the similarities in culture uh, that we felt we had, uh, we felt it was, it was certainly a great fit. And, and the merger, uh, which now formed North Shore Edward Elmhurst Health temporarily until we have a new name, uh, which is going to be at least, a, I think, a year over a year away, um, is, is official as of January 1st. So we're about three months in, uh, in terms of the integration work, and certainly it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, certainly mergers are not easy. Uh, there's, there's lots of personalities and egos that, at, at play that have to be worked out. I think though we, we spent a lot of time very deliberate with getting making sure that people get to know each other well um and, and so you know we sort of went into the start of the merger already really having formed those those relationships with one another which you know arguably are, are kind of probably the most important thing you can do to just really make sure that you know the, the especially at the, starting with the leadership level that they have they have that level of trust and understanding with one another and, and really just Again, form those bonds that help you sort of kickstart uh, the work that you're about to begin. So it's so that's where we are right now. Thank you. And I know two wonderful, wonderful systems. I have to be from the area, so I'm very familiar with both, and just wonderful, wonderful systems. And 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 is being a leader through a merger, and how much time do you have to have this this balance of being patient with process and everything? But then also being very supportive of your entire team, because one of the things that happens when, when organizations go to the merger 
it, it's almost becomes like it can be an organization's a time where people start thinking, oh, I'm a free agent. I must well look at other opportunities. Or I'm worried about my job. So I should get other opportunities. How, how important is it through a merger to make sure you're communicating well with your team uh, and being patient with the, de- with the development of everything? How, how do you manage those things and how important are those things? Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great point and certainly a, a critical aspect of this. And, and you know, not being the, a super patient person, you know, you, I, I like to get things done. And, and, you know, but you do have to balance. There's it, it, this issue with speci- specifically in a time like this where, you know, there, there is great opportunity for, for people to move around. The job, the job market is, is very strong. And, you, you know, we have, we have a great team, both in the North and the South, and we want to make sure that we retain them all. And, you know, you, so, but people want direction. So, you know, right when this merger starts, you know, people want answers. What, what, what is, what is coming? What am, what's my role? What, what is this going to look like? And we don't necessarily have all the answers, but at the same time, the, the, so the, the, you don't want to move too fast and break things. At the same time, you don't want to move too slow where people, the anxiety levels get so high that people where they want clarity, they decide that, you know, they're, they're going to move on. And, and, and you can understand why. I mean, uncertainty for people is, in, you know, they have mortgages, they pay, have college tuition, they have car payments and foods put on the table. You know, we, we you certainly need people need to do what's best for them. Um, we've certainly reinforced here that we, we need every single person we have. Uh, we have a lot of work to do. We are very technology focused, um, have been prior to the merger and, and are even more committed to it now. Um, and so, you know, certainly we're, we're trying our best to just reinforce that message. And we're spending a lot of time, you know, making sure that staff understand that while we work out, you know, a lot of the detail uh, behind what, it, what it's going to look like. Fantastic. When you look at the role of CIO, even prior to this, because this is obviously a big, big combination, two great systems. How is the role of CIO evolving? How do you look at that role? I mean, there's so many pieces of it. How do you look at the role evolving? What are the big priorities today? Yeah, you know, the, the, the CIO role that, you know, they said has been evolving for a long time. I, I, you know, me personally, I haven't necessarily seen it really changing much for myself. Um, I, I think what ends up changing is really just the culture of the organization and, and, and how it marries with the, the type of person and the type of leader you are. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, as, as the world is changing, you're seeing you know, the, the question and you, you, you reference kind of that sort of that mobility that people have now in this remote workforce and the things that we're grappling with, things where, you know, you, you have more things that can become, you know, cloud enabled. So, so all these things that, that sort of push people and technology outside our f- typical four walls of the organization mean that we have to change how we adapt and, and, and what are we going to, what, what is the IT department of the future look like? Can, and I'm not talking about two years from now, I'm talking about five to 10 years from now, you know, is it, is it going to look the same? And, and are there things that are just going to be very different? Technology is moving so fast that we have to kind of sort of keep up with it. And so I think the CIO nowadays should be certainly much more focused on what's coming what's coming two, three, four years from now, five, 10 years, you know, and make sure you, you know, certainly make sure you have really good people that are focused on the one to two years. I I try to spend more time in the future um, and, and, you know, a little bit less time, you know, over the last couple of years focused on, on the the here and now, because I've got, I've got a great team that just, they've they've got it. And, and, and that's, 
that's a, certainly a great place to be. And, and when you talk about sort of um, the, the one of the things that's talked about so much in healthcare today, and it's been doubled down and accelerated on because of workforce challenges is automation. You know, we constantly hear this mantra, talk about this mantra, recruit, retain, and automate. Do you spend a lot of time thinking about, or where do you look at opportunities for automation? Does it come from the service area, or does it come from you folks, or how do you sort of look at opportunities for automation and attacking those? Yeah, well, I, and that's a, that's a great example of something that we, we've been spending a lot of time thinking about, certainly. Um, one is to first educate ourselves on what, what, what do we think of and how do you define automation. Um, uh, about a, a about a year ago, uh, we, we formed a partnership with a local consulting firm here that has been part of this process of what we're calling an automation center, defining an automation center of excellence. We couldn't think of a better term, so that that's the best we could come up with at the point at this point. But you know, the, what we're looking for is sort of kind of a, more of an umbrella over anything and everything that can be automated. Um, even physical automation, we're about to do a pilot with some ro- some uh, with a robotic company to bring robots in that will help nursing and, and uh, patient care techs uh, move move equipment throughout the hospital. Um, and we're going to kind of look at that as you know, not not again. We always think of software automation, but but we can actually. I mean, with robotics now, we can get actually start getting to the point of physical automation. But capturing this all under an umbrella, knowing that we don't have all the information, we, we have. We have an operational leadership who's at the table with us, certainly, because they know their areas better than anyone. Um, you know, external assistance and expertise, people that really know the automation market and have, have an understanding of healthcare workflow. And then our own staff who, were, who are going to be tasked ultimately with owning these long term uh, from an IT standpoint. So, you know, it, 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 it's really, it's a, it's a group effort. You know, we, we think of it in, you know, sort of knowledge and numbers. Uh, and, you know, we, so we have a really a great core team that's focused on, on and, and, you know, and, and some of it may be a few years away, but, but the more you know now, the more you can be better prepared for, for what's to come. And, and are there biases or sentiments that there's more opportunities for automation on the business end or on the clinical end? Or really just looking at different opportunities and trying to figure out where the cost benefit is. I mean, historically, up up until recently, I, certainly the business end has always got kind of the most play in automation, just because it's it is a much more routine type of business where you you know a lot of the tasks are very straightforward and, and repetitive. Um, as you start to move into the clinical space, where it's a a, a little bit more obtuse, uh, you, you start to have to Automation has to be a lot smarter, um, and and so, but you are starting you're starting to see inroads in automation as it relates to uh, the clinical space, as you know, in terms of documentation automation um, or or workflow automation to to help automate tasks within within the, the clinical space. You know, obviously they can't be you know medical decision making uh, automation, but certainly things that will help supplement uh, some of the easy work that could maybe be done through smart technology. Thank you very, very much. And then let me ask you this question. On, on technology, you know, one of the things I hear from other technology companies, not necessarily health systems, but other technology companies, is the delta in savings, especially companies that have lots and lots of people, in doing some of the outsourcing of technology teams 
through other countries is substantial. How do, do big health systems look at that and, and where do you outsource and how does that work? And is there enough savings to make it worthwhile? Or how do you think about those kinds of things? It, it, particularly the outsourcing of overseas, you know, when and where it works. I've seen it in some other technology companies and dramatic savings. And it, I was wondering how much hospitals do on the outsourcing to overseas of technology staff. You, you, you ha- we haven't you haven't seen much of it um, in in the past because it, there's there's just one is we're not we're not necessarily in the development space not as much as maybe other tech companies are uh, so you know a lot of what we buy is packaged. Uh, it, with that said, I mean there's there's people that have attempted to try to get offshoring. Some of the consulting companies now, the big consulting companies. Um, are, are starting to develop offshore programs where it's their own staff. They own, they own the, the people yes. that are offshore and they're starting to be, they're actually starting to be somewhat relative relevant, I should say in the, in the, in that, you know, there, there could be an opportunity down the road where there are services that are able to be provi- provided in an outsourced model, offshore model, outsourced and offshore, um, that could be beneficial. And, and we've seen some preliminary numbers that I've seen in the past. Uh, we've not taken on any, any, we haven't had need to do that. But if we ever did, the, the numbers are pretty, pretty interesting um, in terms of showing some, some savings. There are some trade-offs though. I mean, sir, you know, there, there's something to be said, especially in, if you're talking about how we how IT supports the end user. I mean, if you think about us wanting to be more of, you know, sort of internal consultants and thought leaders, it's about the relationship with, you know, the operational folks within the organization. It, you know, it, so you wouldn't want to offshore those type of roles. You want to, you may want to offshore and outsource roles where it, it the, the person doesn't have to interact with with a customer base uh, in the local. A hundred percent. No, and, I, and we've just seen it through some other companies I'm involved in, and it's fascinating because the, the, you have to have enough employees doing enough things that it makes sense that these officers and captains and stuff like that, but the numbers are, are, are very interesting in terms of how many dollars can be saved from it if done right, and you can manage it. And what's happened, it's almost like automation. There's been, as there's been more and more worker shortages, people have more aggressively looked at these options out of necessity, like automation too. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons why I bring it up. Let me just, we've just got a couple minutes left. Give me sort of 60, 90 seconds on your best thoughts on leadership for an emerging leader. Yeah, you know, it, I, I would say, you know, be yourself. And, and, that, and that's, it, it sounds very like basic and, you know, sort of 101 type of, you know, type of advice, but, but the reality is, is I, I don't think I was my own person un, until maybe seven years ago, uh, maybe even six years ago, when one day you sort of, you kind of feel comfortable where you are. You, you, I don't think we always, we always are the person, we aren't always our true self in the workplace because you're always trying to be someone or something that you think other people want to want to see. Uh, when you can actually be yourself, even in, even in an executive position, it is it, it's very liberating, and I, I think it resonates well with people. Um, unless you're not a great person, and then maybe maybe you should show your not your show your true self. But for the for the 99 percent of people out there, I, I think that that is something that I would always advocate to people: is just don't be afraid to be who you, who truly you are. 
but but I love how you describe that, John. Is this concept of be yourself? This authentic leadership is a real thing. People got to know that they're really talking to you. And when you're trying to be something else, something different, it's it's very hard ultimately to connect with people in the right way. But the thing you mentioned that I thought was so telling was, and it's a great admission, is this concept that. I didn't feel comfortable completely in my own skin as a leader until I'd grown up some to just be myself, to just be myself every day and not sort of like almost put on a different set of suits, a different look and feel than myself. And it doesn't mean that like if I dress poorly, it doesn't mean when I go to work, I have to dress nicely. It just is what it is. But, but this concept of truly being yourself day in and day out, I think is so compelling. And I love the admission that like it took me a while to get there mm-hmm. to, to be able to really be myself day in, day out in the way I want to be. Right. Yeah. You, 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 you kind of, you got to that point where you, you felt like you, you made it, you, you know, that you're, you have a level of confidence. You have a, a, an understanding of who you are, what you're about. And you're not afraid that you're going to lose your job or you're not going to perform well. You, 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 there's just, again, there's that, there's that level of confidence. I'm going to leave our audience today with this concept on leadership is probably nothing more important than being yourself. And you said it jokingly, but truly, if yourself's an awful person, you can't be a leader. But as long as yourself's a normal, decent person, normal in the broadest sense of the word, good person, just be yourself, you know, whatever that is, be yourself. And I think that's the, the greatest starting point for almost anything. John, I want to thank you for joining us. I know you indulged me on a number of subjects that we hadn't planned on. We talked about the merger. We talked about uh, offshoring and other things and, and about leadership. Thank you so much for joining us. It continued to give us the success of the combined system, a great system. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you.